Morning. Good to see you guys. Today is a little bit of a different day. Uh, a couple of times a year, we've decided we want to take a moment to recenter our whole church back in on moments about who we are, write some vision with that, but also center in on this theme. And part of the reason for that is because, you know, when you start something, and you know this in your own lives, right? You start, you go to start something and you're like, okay, and there's a lot of good energy in the beginning. And then it's easy for just like lots of stuff to happen. And all of a sudden it kind of gets backburnered in our minds or it fizzles a little bit. And so part of today is calling that back into like center and, and uniting all of us in it. So I'm going to speak to some about just who we are as a church in a way that is to, to pull us all back together and some about what this theme really can mean for us. And so here's the thing with that. For part of this, it's gonna be like, some of you guys are gonna go, oh, we've heard some of this before, absolutely. And I get that. In some ways, I hope that that continues to solidify and center us where we are in who we are. But I also promise you that there's part of what we're gonna talk about and how we're gonna talk about it today that I don't know that we've shared in quite this way before. And so if you start listening and you go, man, I think I know this already, hang with me. If you're new with us, it's good to have you because you get to see our heart and so much of what we care about. And it's a really good day. I'm, I'm just glad that you're here. So this last August, um, we launched a ministry theme called Better Together. We did that in August because August is the beginning of our ministry season. And so with that, every year as everybody, families, all of us kind of gear back up, we each go, how can we, how can we solidify our church and focus our church in to be the unique expression you know, following Jesus, the Casas Church actually is in this coming year. And so we said, let's do better together. And we did it for a couple of reasons, right? A lot of conversation, a lot of process, a lot of thoughts, but a couple of reasons. First, COVID had changed our world a bit. I bet it changed your world a bit, right? Like for each of us, uh, whether you like it or not, like it, it's just, it's been a thing. And so for us, think of the impact that it had on church. We just ended a season of time where for the first time in this church's almost 60 year history, Cost's been around a long time, been around about 60 years. In the first time in this church's 60 year history, we did not have in-person services. We went to online services and everybody, and you guys maybe remember this where I hope you do, where you, you had to adapt and figure out how do I stay connected or some people found themselves disconnecting just because things were different. And we thought to ourselves, man, we need to just overtly say, we really are better together better together by being the church. And let's, let's actually state that and stand in that and let's live this out together because that's who the church has historically been. It's who we currently are. It, this really, really matters, right? With all the things that are there. Another reason we landed on the theme uh, for better together is because the last few years have been tumultuous to say the least, regardless, even outside of COVID. And you're all going like, I know, like you, we, we've been here, we lived it, but it's true. The last few years have been a little bit tumultuous. And so there's a part of all of that where we've watched this, I've gotten a front row seat, we've gotten a front row seat to see a lot of these moments. We've watched families struggling to talk with each other and drawing lines in the sand over certain issues and the way people are approaching things. We've watched friendships that are no longer happening. We've watched moments in churches, in our church even at times where it just feels like, it feels like things are wanting to pull apart. And we found ourselves thinking, man, you know what, you know what we need to say? We need to remind ourselves that we are the church. When you remind ourselves that the church at its core, right, is something that lives out better together. We're the body of Christ. All these different people from backgrounds and different things joined together because Jesus has done something so significant in us that we would be united by something greater than that and that there's opportunity there. Let's, let's talk about better together. Man, that is significant. And then lastly, and there's more reasons than just this, but these are some big ones. Lastly, we decided, you know, we don't seek to be a church, and this isn't new, this is, this is historic. We don't seek to be a church 
that exists to hide and protect Christians on a Sunday morning from like everything else. No, we want to be a church that the Bible would refer to as a city on a hill or a light of the world. We want to be a church that's a church without walls, right? Where we're always loving the people that are here, you all, me, all of us, loving the people that are here, but also saying, man, but I want to love the person who hasn't sat down next to me yet. Maybe they haven't even been here yet, but I, I want to make room and make space and love them here because I want the same love that Christ has for us to make its way outward. And I want people to feel like they can come and I want us to feel like we can go and all of that stuff. And so we found ourselves saying, man, we want that. And you know, it'd be so cool. It'd be so cool if we found ourselves as a part of this larger community, right? Tucson or Valley, Marana, Catalina, whatever this larger community around us fully is, it'd be so nice if we found ourselves hearing from them that like, man, you know what? It's just, we are, we feel like we are better together for having Casas be a part of our community. And that's not our, their responsibility to have to say that. That's our responsibility to create that reality, isn't it? To live that piece out. And so that's part of this better together thing too. By the way, that's part of why I love Fall Festival. What just happened here this last Friday, I do. I love it. I loved it for a lot of reasons. I got to wear a goofy suit. Hopefully some of you guys saw, saw that. I was confusing kids all over campus. I had a ton of fun. That was a good time. I love seeing families come together. I love seeing all the, all the different people in our churches and all the different, you know, who are, are sometimes in different areas and don't always see each other, just sharing an experience and a moment and recognizing that we're all part of something bigger and having a good time together. I love that. I love how many people in our community showed up to just be a part of that event and to engage in that. But you know what I love the most about it? And this was actually part of the heart in creating that particular event. I loved that so many of our local partnerships, you see, we partner at Casas with a bunch of local ministries because they're doing amazing things. As a church, we want to do amazing things. And so we partner together to help do great things together. On some of this, they showed up and we're here and present in some extraordinary ways. And I just love the heart in so many of that. I, you probably don't know about many of the partnerships that we have. Maybe you do because you pieced it together along the way. But I mean, think of things like this. We partner with Interfaith Community Services. You hear that referred to as ICS. Uh, around here a lot. We partner with Interfaith Community Services. They, they do an amazing job of seeking to minister to in a holistic way to love a person who might be like financially hard up, who might, it might be a family in some turmoil. There might be a person who needs skill sets and things to re-enter the job market and they're just needing somebody to come along and support them or some kind of holistic piece with that. ICS does an amazing job and so we get to partner with them. Many of you volunteer and we support and, and engage with this and they were here and I love that you guys donated, you brought over a half ton of food to just partner and help love them as they are an amazing expression of love in our community. There, there's more than that too. We start, we've begun partnering with two organizations that work in the prison systems. And what I love is many of you are actually stepping forward to become mentors to people in the prison system because eventually they're gonna serve their sentence and we wanna make sure that we love them for the long haul so that they're supported and can actually stay out of the system as opposed to feel like they're stuck within it. And there's some of you that are stepping in to mentor and love people where they are to help care in that amazing way. And I also love our, our partnership with Tucson Refugee Ministry, TRM, as it often just gets abbreviated. I love this. This is a huge deal. And they're doing amazing things to love the refugee population here in Tucson. Uh, and that, how big of a deal is that given everything that's happened in Afghanistan in this last year and the influx of refugees even there, and they're stepping in to love people in extraordinary ways. And they have been doing this. We get to partner with them. They were here on Friday. And if you did not stop by their area and try the homemade baklava made by a Syrian woman who like made it for all of us, there was so much there. I'm just gonna tell you, you missed out. It was incredible. 
It was absolutely delicious. I love that they're a part of that. They're youth and teens and everybody were a part of all of that running around, having a great time with all of us in this larger community. And I find myself going, do you feel it? It really is a better together moment. There really is this understanding that better together produces this beautiful things that we get to see and experience. And man, am I grateful for that. I'm so excited. And I love the way we get to express and experience that as a family, as a church, as part of a larger community. This is our heart. But I want us to see today that within this idea of better together, and this has been true from the beginning, this is why I think we latched onto it and after talking and processing with so many people really centered here, there's something so deep in this concept of better together that it's more than just a slogan that's on a t-shirt. And it's more than just, you know, something that's relevant because it's been a crazy couple of years. It's more than just a momentary thing. There's actually this like deep theological truth, this deep understanding about God that's contained within that. And I hope that we see it. I hope that we come to understand that piece. It's not just us. It's not just our church. This is echoed in the very heart of Christ. He expresses this so overtly. This is echoed by almost every New Testament author, especially those who sought to lead and and drive a church in the first century when no one even knew what a church was or how to run one or how to be one or any of those things. This thing is in there. It's this really deep, really important truth. And so this morning I wanna unpack some passages and I'm gonna give you a heads up. I'm gonna unpack a lot of passages this morning with you all. But the reason why, it's not to exhaust you. It's because I want you to see just that collective voice repeated over and over by New Testament author after New Testament author of just how clear this deep truth really is. Of just how beautiful this heart really is. And here's my hope. We're gonna get to it, I promise. But here's my hope. If you picked up a Better Together t-shirt, I really do. I hope it becomes more than just a catchy slogan or something that you wear. And I hope it becomes more than just something where you're like, oh, that seems pertinent for now. But that it captures your heart of something in you because of who Christ is through you and for you. I hope that for those of us in this service, that we would actually come to see the importance of what's happening right here. And I don't just mean in person, if you're joining us online, wherever you might be, but just the idea of the church as it's gathered, the idea of the together part of that, and that there is always an opportunity, not just for someone from a platform or something like me, but for each and every person here, myself included, to love somebody in a really amazing way in the seat next to me or the seat next to them, because that really matters. And lastly, I hope that for those of us who find ourselves in, in connected ministries, trying to grow and, and, and you know, grow into spiritual maturity, whether you're in an adult you know, Sunday morning class here or whether you're in you know, student ministries or children's ministry or wherever it is that you might find yourself, that as we seek to grow into spiritually mature Christians and walk this faith out with Christ, I hope we see a really clear picture of what that is, of what that looks like as we talk today. I promise we're gonna talk about some really important things. So in order to get there, I wanna walk us through some passages here of scripture uh, this morning. And the first passage is in Galatians chapter five. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Galatians chapter five. Galatians is written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a devout follower of Judaism. He was a student of religious law. He was powerful because of his intellect and his zeal and all that he had come to do. And he was, he was like wanting to protect Judaism. He was wanting to like, like essentially destroy the Christian church. He was putting people to death that were followers of Christ. And so he knew things, he did things. I mean, he's like a powerful wrecking ball, so to speak of a human being. And then in Acts chapter nine, He has this confrontation moment, really. He has this experience with Jesus where Jesus appears to Paul on a road to Damascus while he's traveling. And Jesus 
reveals himself to Paul and Paul suddenly goes, oh my gosh, I have been walking in the wrong direction and I see it now and I get it now. He has this experience with Jesus. It changes his trajectory for his life, changes his belief system, changes his perspectives and it just flips him upside down and all of a sudden Paul, the great adversary of the Christian faith becomes all about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's the one who goes and starts churches in places where nobody had started churches before. Outside of Jerusalem, outside of the nation of Israel, really, that epicenter, so to speak, because that's where Jesus died and rose again. Outside of that place, most of what we think of as the church moving outward is because Paul had the audacity to go do something about that. And he did it in an extraordinary way, powerful figure. He writes in Galatians to a church in Galatia. He's writing to a whole group of believers like me like you, like all of us, even here. And in Galatians 5, Paul makes this really big, really bold, really overt statement about what matters most when it comes to following Jesus. It's found in Galatians 5, verse 14. I'm gonna read you the first half of the verse now. Verse 14, he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Think about this. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. This is the guy who's the student of the law. This is the guy who's devoted his life to following and studying the Jewish scriptures. This is the guy who knows it front and back and is passionate about that thing. And this is the guy who has been working amongst Jewish people and all these different things who are saying, but how do we live this? And what do we do? And how do we follow God? And what's it mean to follow Jesus? And Paul looks and he goes, the entire law, if you wanna know how to obey God, if you wanna know how to follow God, if you wanna know how to walk rightly with God, the whole law can be summed up in one word, fulfilled in one word. That's a big statement. Can you imagine when they went to read this letter in Galatia, all of the people just like leaning in going, what is it? <laughs> like, okay, what's the thing? This is a big deal. What is it? Galatians 5.14, here's the rest. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And he says that you love one another as you love yourself. It's a big statement from Paul. The good news is this isn't new. When Paul goes to say this, he's not like, you know, I've been thinking and I've been journeying and working through some stuff. And I think I finally like dialed it in. I think I figured out the mystery. He's quoting the book of Leviticus a moment where God actually speaks these words when he's delivering the law. Leviticus 19, at the end of verse 18, he said, God says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's in a chapter where it's just listing out all these practical ways to love the people around them for the early Jewish people, all the way back in the, the Exodus narrative, so to speak. But you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he says, for I am the Lord, because this is who I am. Paul is saying something really old, again, really new, in a very, very clear, clear way. If you wanna follow God, if you want to obey God, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then here is your path. Just as naturally as you would seek to care for yourself, seek to also genuinely care about and do what's best for others in that same way. If you want to follow God, this is what you do. This is Paul saying, if you will just stay focused on loving others, then you will be focused on everything you need to do. This is the primary this is a really big deal. And this is huge. I know I keep saying that. I keep emphasizing that, but it is. See, we can't read this one passage like we read every other passage of scripture. And the reason why is because scripture just told us not to read it that way. We can't read it and be like, well, it's one verse and one book and that's just thing, but there's a myriad of other moments and all of this stuff. We can't read it that way. And the reason why is because what's he say? This is the fulfillment of the entire law. This is the summation of all of these things. It's not a suggestion, it's a summation. It's not food for thought or even a consideration. It's a consolidation of so much into one tiny things, fulfilled, summarized, summed up in one thing. What do we do? 
Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Paul boils down what it means to live out Christian spirituality and the entire Christian ethic into one simple premise. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. That's huge. That means if you're sitting here today and you've been confused for a while about like, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus though? What do I do? If you're sitting here and you've been sitting for a while and you're like, but what does God want me to do? Like, what's he want from me? How do I, how do, I do this? How do I live this out? What are the steps in front of me? If you're wondering what all of that looks like, well, then this is really good news. Replace that confusion with clarity. Well, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. If you're asking yourself, well, then who's my neighbor? We don't talk like, is he talking about like my next door neighbor? Because that guy's really difficult. I don't know what to do with that, right? Like, who's my neighbor? Well, there's good news. There's an entire section of the Bible that deals with the wrestling with this question. Jesus actually answers it. Somebody asks Jesus, but who's my neighbor? When he says to do the same thing, and Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. The entire story of what we come to know of as the Good Samaritan is designed to answer the singular question, but who is my neighbor? And at the end of it, the answer is clear. Everyone. That's Jesus' answer to the question, who's your neighbor? Everyone. Everyone? Everyone. Everybody. So again, if you're confused about how to follow Jesus, how to obey God or what he wants you to do, love other people in the same manner as you would seek to love yourself. I love this. I think God's so wise in this. And the reason why I think this is because this, is, this is, can be kind of confusing in times where you're like, but how do I love somebody? This is both principle and path condensed into the same sentence. The principle, love your neighbor. The path, well, the way you would love yourself. Start by looking at the person, putting yourself in their shoes and going, if I were walking through what they're walking through and if I were, if I were them right now, what would I need to best be loved? How would, I, how would I want to be loved? What would that look like for me? And then go and do it. If you're like, but I don't know what that would look like. I know you got to wrestle with this. That's what makes it love and not just an obedient rule that you followed. That's what makes it genuine care for the other person. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, if you're a little hesitant to embrace this, because I'm telling us this is the one thing and it's built out of one passage from one author in the book of Galatians. Let me tell you, each of your New Testament authors who ran and led and started early churches, each of those New Testament authors who also wrote a significant portion of your New Testament, they echo and mirror the same thing at one point or another. Think about this. What about, what about Peter, right? He's the rock upon whom the church is built. Jesus says, upon you, you're the rock I wanna build this church upon, Peter. This is who you're gonna be. You're gonna be a foundational type of human being in the building of this church. First Peter 4, 8, Peter writes this, above all else, love each other deeply. Above all else, above what else? All else, as in most importantly, as in, do this before you start doing anything else. Start here. Above all else, love each other deeply. Okay, well, that's Peter. What about John? Right? John's the disciple whom Jesus dearly loved, although it's a little suspect because John's the one who wrote that about himself, so that's a little weird. But, but he also wrote the book of Revelations and he talks about the coming of Christ and John has all these amazing things that he speaks and this deep theological stuff. And like, what about John? Is, what's John have to say? First John chapter three, verse four. John writes, we know, we, all of us, followers of Christ, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. We know that we are no longer living in death, but that we are actually standing in the full life of Jesus Christ. We know that we pass from death to life. How? Because we love 
each other. One chapter later, he writes something really overt that should make us pause and make us think from time to time. John writes, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, he says, whoever claims to love God but hates his brothers and sisters is a liar. I feel like that singular verse would change social media as we know it. It is a powerful, stark and overt verse. It's huge. He's saying this is so central that without this peace, you don't even get to say that you love God. This piece is so huge. It's so central to this. Okay, well, that's Peter and that's John. What about James? James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James is at like the epicenter of this thing. James is the faith without works is dead guy. Like he, surely James is not like, yeah, let's just all go about love here. He's like, no, we got to do some things, right? What's James say? James chapter two, verse eight. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, Royal law, by the way, not right, like the, the law of all laws, the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as you love yourself, then you are doing what's right. And this is your path. See, the New Testament authors who are also in the midst of seeking to begin churches, lead churches, preach the gospel, start this whole entire movement of which we are now a part of again and again and again, keep echoing this same thing. The most important thing, the way that you follow Jesus Right? If you are in Christ, the way that you follow Jesus is you love your neighbor, is you love yourself. This is a really clear and powerful statement. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I do. But for some of us, I'm going to guess that that creates a little bit of tension in us. You know why I guess that is because for me, when I start, first started to learn some of this and first started to read some of this, it created some tension in me. I would imagine I'm probably not alone in that. Here's why for me, when I first looked at this, there was a little bit of tension. It's because when I first read through all of this, right? On this is the path and loving the Lord or loving your neighbor as you love yourself is this really, really important thing. And we should do this. And this is what the Christian life is about. I felt like something was missing. I did. And, and I just, I wrestled with this. I felt like something was missing. And the reason why is because I'd read a really famous passage from Jesus. And if Jesus said something, man, doesn't that make it more important? And so I was like, is Jesus disagreeing with Paul? Is Paul somehow like disregarding Jesus? What's happening here? The passage is Matthew chapter 22, really famous passage. We've read this a lot as a church over the years, beginning at verse 37. Jesus says this, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he goes, and the second is like it. Two commandments, not one, two. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So when Jesus talks about this, he says, there's two commandments. If you want to sum up all the law and you want to sum up all the prophets and you want to know it all boils down to this one thing, it's two things actually. First thing is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength. And the second, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he pairs these two things together. Do you see why there might be some tension here when we go to talk about some of these things? When you find yourself going like, I know we keep talking about loving other people, but Ryan, when are we gonna talk about loving God? When are we gonna talk about honoring God and following God in this way and expressing our love through obedience to him in this particular way? Like, when's that gonna happen? And I know you're with me in that particular tension because that's the most frequent tension that gets expressed back to me after we give a message on love. I hear this from you all. And I get it because I felt the exact same thing in moments. Doesn't it seem like this is unbalanced? Like if all you focus on this is, it's a little bit crazy, right? We talk about loving others in this church a lot. And now some of you guys are like, we know. 
But we do, we talk about loving others in this church a lot. It's so central and core to who we are. And so here today, I'm really grateful that we just get to stand right in the middle of this tension and talk about that and look at it. And go, okay, so what, what is this? Are the New Testament authors contradicting Jesus? Is Paul doing something where he's just forgetting what Jesus said? Is he boiling it down to one thing when Jesus said it's really two? Did he get it wrong? Did Peter and James miss it too? Like what's going on here? And so I want us to look at a moment in John chapter 13 that I think is gonna help us see what's happening here. And I wanna point out that in Matthew chapter 22, it's what we just read, when Jesus speaks and he says, first commandment, second commandment, on these two things, all the law, the prophets, everything hang. They're all summed up this way. They're all fulfilled in this, right? When he says that, I want you to think about who was asking him that question. It was a teacher of the law, is what your Bible will say. It was a lawyer, not the way you would think of a lawyer, a specialist and a person who studied Jewish law and understood all of this. Like they, they knew this, they knew their doctrine, they knew their scriptures, they studied this. And that's the person who looks, goes to Jesus and says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Like what's the most important thing in the entire law? And so when, and this is not a follower of Jesus Christ. This is a follower, a devout follower of Judaism, a religious scholar and a student of the law. And they say, what's the most important thing? And so when Jesus talks to somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, who hasn't embraced this for their life, he looks and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's two things. First thing is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength. And the second, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But here, we're gonna look now in John chapter 13. Jesus is no longer in the public sphere. Jesus is now sitting at what we have come to know of as the Last Supper. If you don't know what it is, you've seen a painting, right? The Last Supper is really significant, you guys. It, it's a moment when Jesus gathers his disciples together, and this is like the very end. This is right before he's about to go be arrested, tried, crucified. These guys have been following him for three years, trying to figure out who he is and love as he love and know about him and all this stuff. And Jesus knows that he's about to die and that they're gonna feel like he's abandoned them, like he is gone. And so he pulls everybody together and they have this last supper and think of how important the words he goes to speak in this particular occasion are. Think of when you're the person who's saying like, all right, you have been with me, but I'm about to have something happen to me and you're gonna feel like you're on your own. I want you to know this, right? I want you to need this. This is that moment I think about if I were to pass away tomorrow and I were to have one moment with my girls just to say something to them, what would it be, right? Those, there, there's just this like gravity to some of these types of things. This is a really big moment. He's gonna rise again. They don't know that. <laughs> And here's what Jesus says, John chapter 13, speaking to his followers, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And Jesus in this particular moment, he says, he goes on to say, it's in loving one another that people will know that you follow me new command I give to you. When he says a new command I give to you, you don't give new commands because you don't add or take away from the law of God. It was perfect and sacred and, and holy and revered and all of those things. When Jesus says a new command I give to you, he's essentially claiming authority and saying, I am the king and my law is this, this is for you. And notice he's not speaking to the entire world. He's not speaking to everybody else. He's not speaking all this. He's talking to people who are following him saying, but what's the path forward look like for me? What do I do with all of this? And Jesus says the new command, the law that I want you to follow. This is what James calls the royal law. You know why he calls it the royal law? Because it's the law of the king. The royal law is that you would love one another just as I have loved you. By this, the world will know that you are actual followers of me. Go love one another. Go do this thing. 
This is huge. So when Jesus speaks to somebody who wasn't a follower of Jesus, he says, man, loving God is really important. And it is, isn't it? Is there anybody in here who's going to acknowledge that like loving God's not important? And that's, no, it's huge. Like, what are we doing if not that thing? Like, of course we love God. It's massive. And why do we love him? First John's really clear. We don't like build that up in us. We love because he first loved us. There's a response to what he's done that comes, that we encounter with our lives and it transforms us. It opens us up and then we pour love back out out of that. It's this massive response. We, of course we love God. If you're a follower of Jesus, when Jesus is talking to non-believers or people who aren't followers of, of Jesus, he goes, you know what? Love God, two things, love God and then love others and keep them together. But when Jesus is sitting with his disciples in this particular moment, when he's speaking to his followers, he speaks a little differently and it's because he knows they love God. He knows they've sought to follow him. And he says, when it comes to the way you live your life and the way you engage, and the way you follow me, a new command I give to you, love one another, love your neighbor. You should love yourself. It's the same thing. And so this is what he says. And you know who's sitting there? Peter, James, John. Do you know who hears that message? The same people who write this later when they say, man, the most important thing, the one thing. And Paul gets the message a little later. He comes on board a little late, but he gets this same thing and lives powerfully out of it. A new command I give to you that you love one another. Here's the thing that's being echoed here. By loving others, the world will know that you love Jesus. When Jesus speaks to his disciples at the last supper, he makes it clear that the way we as followers of Christ express our love for God is by loving someone else. I want you to think about that, that's powerful. As followers of Jesus, the way we express our love for God is by loving someone else. Victor Hugo attempted to capture this in Les Mis when he says, to love another person is to see the face of God. And it's this deep thing that we ooh and awe about, we don't realize how theologically deep it actually is. It's not the first time that thought has made its way forward. This is huge. We as a church, do we deeply love God? Absolutely, absolutely. But if we are followers of Christ and we wanna live this thing out and we wanna do something powerful in this world, what is it that Christ has for us? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to walk this thing out? It's this, you devote yourself and your life to loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And when you do, you love Jesus and you speak to the love of Jesus in that particular moment and it's back and it's forth, and the two are joined together in this really powerful way. And this is really important for us as a church to see. And here's why. It's because if all you do is devote yourself to trying to love God, to being a person who tries to love God, you can completely miss the point and end up doing terrible things. It's true. We see this biblically in the first century with Jesus, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, their entire life was wrestling with the question, how do I please God? How do I love God? How do I please God? How do I make God happy with me? What do I do? And so they were consumed with following the law in this. And what do we see when Jesus interacts with this group of people? Again and again, he goes, you guys are missing the point. You're trying to do all of this stuff and you look like super religious and amazing on the outside, but you're treating people like garbage. You do all of this stuff and yet it feels like your insides are just like nothing. Like I haven't made you new. None of that love is permeated here. You're trying to please all this stuff and it's getting out of hand. And then what do they end up missing? This is the great story though that should make us pause. What is the one thing they miss? They miss Jesus. The savior of the world, the Messiah is right in front of them interacting with them and he dies, rises again. And the world begins to change and you know whose world didn't change? Theirs. 
because they miss Jesus in this particular moment. See, you can devote yourself to trying to love God, to trying to do this thing and end up missing the point, and you can actually do terrible things. History teaches us this again and again. This would be kind of weird to hear, but very true when you think about it. History is clear. You can devote yourself to loving God and completely miss the point and end up doing terrible things. You can devote yourself to trying to be a person who loves God and still fly planes into buildings because you love him so much. Whether that's genuine love or not. But if that's your path, if that's what you're holding, you know what you can't do? You can't do the same thing when you're also holding, and I deeply love people. For God loves this world. You can't do the same thing in that particular moment. You can love God. You can try to love God, right? Devote your life to doing this thing. And you can also strap a bomb to your back and walk into a school because you feel like that's the righteous thing to do. But you know what you can't do? You can't do that when you pair those things together and you recognize, no, it's actually in loving other people as I love myself that I express my love for Jesus Christ. It doesn't work the same. It's not the same thing anymore. You can love, devote yourself to loving God and burn people at the stake and have crusades, but you can't do that when you seek to love people. You can devote yourself to loving God and propagate and condone slavery, but you can't do that if you also marry that with seeking to love all people in the same way. You can devote yourself to loving God and you can marginalize somebody and even get to the point of genocide. And I'm not making up new information or talking about hypotheticals. History taught, like it's in the books, guys. You can do that, but you can't do that if you marry the two. You can't do that if the way you express your love for God is the way you choose to love people. That's why this is so important, because if you mix these two, if you separate these two, if you make it, we need to focus on one thing and not the other, it all just starts to get messed up. That's why by the time it gets to the New Testament authors, they don't even acknowledge the first part. They're like, we are talking to people who have loved God. We're trusting God to keep pouring that love into them. And we're challenging them, go make your lives about living and loving other people in such a way that the love of Jesus is proclaimed through you, that the world around you looks and goes, man, Jesus' love is real because of what I see in you. Those people must be followers of the one true thing. Go love that way. Go live that way. And that's why it gets boiled down to one thing as we start to read through the New Testament authors. Paul's not going rogue. The New Testament authors aren't misquoting Jesus. They're speaking to churches in that moment, people like me, like you, and they're saying, as followers of Christ, let's be about this. This is who we are. Let's do this. This is what James calls the royal law. This is the Christian ethic. And friends, just really clearly, I wanna tell you, this is what spiritual maturity looks like. The most spiritually mature of Christians is not the person who memorizes the most scripture. Although memorization of scripture is an amazing thing to be able to recall good truths that help you in moments and times of need and ingrain those in your heart. Beautiful thing. What makes you a spiritually mature Christian and we've met these people. It's the people who have just an abundance of love and grace for other people who find a way to love somebody through the complexity of this life. And you look and you go, I don't get it, but man, do I love Jesus in you. Man, do I see his face more clearly than I did before because I just met you. And it becomes like a gift to us and to the world around us. The more love for others that we see, the more of Jesus everyone comes to know powerful thing. See, this is what makes better together have the potential to be so powerful. This right here. This is what makes it more than just a banner, 
more than just a t-shirt or a slogan. I saw this on Starbucks. Apparently lots of people are better together right now. Like it's what makes it more than just like a generalized thing in the year 2021. There's something really deep here at the heart of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. If the world around us wants to pull people apart right now, and I'm not saying there's somebody in here trying to rip this church or in two or any of that. I just mean, if divisiveness and some of that stuff is just crazy in the world around us, we can look and we can go, man, am I weary of that? And man, am I scared of that? Or we can also look and go, man, I'm gonna join in and pick a side and just really start lashing out and doing some things. We could do all of that and be a little, we're worried about it. Or we could look and go, man, is this an amazing opportunity for Christ to do his best work. Man, is this an amazing, I'm serious. Isn't this an amazing time for Jesus who unites all kinds of different people? One of the clearest pictures of heaven that we get in the entire Bible is every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered together, unified, singing in praise to God. One of the most beautiful things, the power of Jesus, what he's able to do is he's able to move in your heart and he's able to move in my heart and he's able to move in your heart in such a way that he pulls us together and we go, man, are we different? And I probably wouldn't have liked you two years ago, but I call you my brother. And I call you my sister and I love you. And I think Christ is doing something in you and I wanna be about that. And I want you to be about that same thing in my life. What if all the divisiveness in this world isn't our undoing, but our greatest opportunity? What if we're exactly the kind of church that's needed right now? We can be a people who draw lines and fracture and be known for that. And to be honest, 25,000 registered denominations of Protestantism in the United States says we're good at it, right? We can do that, or just like Jesus said, we can be known by our love for one another. And in being known by our love for one another, people come to know him, that this is the real deal and that we're actually a real church who really follows Christ and is seeking to love as he loves. We can use our words to attack or condemn, to divide or defend, or with grace and compassion, we can look into the eyes of another person. And I'm not saying we just agree with everything that somebody says, and I'm not saying we just like jump on the roller coaster into craziness with them or any of whatever that means, but you can look and take a step back and just be like, if I were in their shoes, walking through what they were walking through, what would it mean to love that person? What, how would love what I want? And then you can give it away the way Christ met you. Because that looks like Jesus. And that's our hope, isn't it? It takes an extraordinary amount of poise, an extraordinary amount of strength, an extraordinary amount of compassion to live this way. But friends, what else but the power of the love of Jesus could unite us in this world? I mean that. Like, what else are we banking on? And if not this, like, what, what path are you wanting to walk in your life that isn't one that Jesus has already said, this is the one I want to walk you down? Like, what else is there? Let's keep being better together for when we are better together, we live out the royal law of his love and the clearest picture of Jesus that we can muster up becomes known because that's the goodness in me and the goodness in you and it's what he's doing. And it's what this world needs beyond this moment. Friends, let your love for God be made real in a real way because someone around you needs that from you. And here's the truth, and we don't always like to admit it, you need it from someone else too. You really do. You know, there was a moment in college for me a friend of mine was studying to become a pastor and he was in his senior year, he was about to graduate. And I, I don't, he'd been working really hard. I don't, I don't really understand what had happened up to this moment, but all of a sudden we started seeing less of him and he spent a lot more time in his room. And then on one particular day, someone from the school sat us down and said that they had found him dead that morning and he had taken his own life. You have that moment where somebody says something to you and it feels like, like all of a sudden there's just an alternate reality that you're in and you don't even know how to make sense of it. Like I, 
I, I, I was like, what happened? And so many questions, like what, what happened? What, what did he say? Was there any indicator? Like, is there, is there something that we can know about this particular thing? And they said, well, he left a note. And the note articulated that there were some things in his life that he wasn't proud of at this particular moment. And there were some things that felt like a moral failure to him. And he felt like he would be disqualified from becoming a pastor and that the school would be disappointed and withhold him from graduating in some ways and that his parents wouldn't understand and his friends would disown him. And, and so he thought that the choice to make was to take his life. I got so mad. I got so mad. And I was mad at so many things. I, I was mad at, at some of the believers around him because they lived in such a way that he didn't believe in grace. I got so mad that there was some theology and some things that he'd had that he'd come to believe some lies about what qualifies you or not that was anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ. And I got so mad that, that this just happened and that we didn't get to have a conversation first. And there was just this whole thing stewing inside of me. And I, I, I was so angry and so sad in that week. I, it was just a combination of it all. And if you've, you've ever walked through grief, you know, it's just weird and confusing. And I remember that week I walked into the dorms, that's where I was living at the time and the dorm bathroom was empty and there's all these showers, you know, big dorm and all these shower stalls. And I walked in to take a shower. And I know this is gonna sound like a weird moment to tell you this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I sing in the shower. I do, I don't know why I do. I just always have, like the moment I get in and water hits me, I'm like, whoa, you know, I just, I, I don't know why, but I go full karaoke every time. And what's funny in the house I'm in now, my neighbor's house is right adjacent to my bathroom. And I just wonder if he's like dying inside all the time. So I go on this particular day and I, I get in the shower and the water hits me and I start to sing a song. And I sang a song that I'd learned that we'd all sing together in a chapel at one point that year. And the first verse of the song says this, and I'm singing this out loud in the shower. It says, how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. I sing that verse and then I get to the second verse and I start to sing it. But remember, I walked in his bathroom and it's empty and it's alone. And so I was super surprised when all of a sudden a voice from a shower stall next to me that I recognized as a good friend of mine who knew exactly where I was at in life at that point in time, starts to sing and the other one's my roommate. And he starts to sing and they start to sing the second verse. And the first line of the second verse is how great the pain of searing loss. And at this point, I'm starting to tear up and cry because there's a whole wave of something inside of me that's been waiting to make its way out. And the rest of the verse says, the father turns his face away as the wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. And this whole song is about the death of Jesus on the cross and what he went through is a great demonstration of love for us that we might rise to glory, that we might know the power of that love and live out of that thing. And I got to the third verse and now it's like, I couldn't even open my mouth to sing the words because I just have tears pouring down my face. It's like all of that energy just started making its way out. And now not only are the two people in these stalls singing, my RA is at a bathroom sink and he joins his voice in and two other people walk in and everyone's just start singing in the bathroom and I have this chorus around me. And all you guys have to know, this isn't like coincidence. All these guys knew where I was at. They knew what I was struggling with. They knew what I was having a hard time with. And they joined their voice with mine to say, we love you and we're with you. And I knew it. And in that moment, I'm in the shower and I pause. And do you know what I said? I didn't go, man, it's good to be loved. You guys are great. I didn't, you know what I said? I remember praying in that moment saying, God, thank you for the way you love us. Jesus, you are so beautiful and I'm so mad and I don't understand so many things right now, but I'm so thankful for you 
You're so good. So hard all at the same time. Think about that. How powerful is it that when some people showed up to uniquely love me, that my first response wasn't like, wow, you're great at loving people. What was my first response? Man, how clearly I see the face of Jesus. When some people showed up to join their voice with mine in a moment that I felt like God was about a million miles away, it was as though what I didn't think was like, man, I got good people in my life. What I thought was, man, God, you've been here all along. Man, you love me and you're here. I share this with all of you because this is you. This is me. There's someone in your life that is waiting for you to join your voice with theirs because they need your love. And not because we just need a Beatles song. It's because the love of Jesus is in you and has transformed you in that true and unconditional love. They need to be reminded that there's a real God with real love that transcends some of the garbage that we face and will love them in the midst of their moment. They need to know that they need your voice. Someone in your life needs it. Will you join your voice with theirs? Will you find a way? They need your presence. How powerful was it for me to hear one and two and then suddenly realize like there are people around me who are just here to say you are not alone and in doing so reminding me of something I'd forgotten that God had been there all along. Someone in your life that needs your presence just to be that living, breathing reminder of the fact that the power of Jesus is still real and good and loving them forward. And if they've never even opened their hearts or their minds to it, that's that real love that's the best shot for them to say, I want that in my life and I don't want to settle for anything less. And this community, this church, the person sitting next to you, people in here, they need your presence. They need your voice. They need your heart and you need theirs. We truly are better together, friends. So I'm asking you, will you in a powerful way continue to live this out by loving your neighbor as you love yourself? Will you grow into the kind of spiritually mature Christians who become a voice for the confused? and for the wayward, and for people who have forgotten the heart of Jesus that has so powerfully resonated and moved in each of us. We can be an amazing church, and we are, and can I just tell you, I'm so thankful for the way I see you live this out, and I'm so thankful for the way I get to experience your love. It reminds me of Jesus. It speaks to me of the love of God, and in a crazy couple of years, you all have been an amazing source of hope. Keep loving people like Jesus does. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we, man, we acknowledge that love is hard. Oh man, and you know that. So help us, <laughs> fill us with your love, Lord. Help us to resonate with how much you have loved us and God, help us to open our eyes to just the opportunity to love someone around us. I thank you that there's path in front of us. I pray that you give us the courage to walk it. I pray for those in this room that are maybe struggling right now and I pray that they would just know and feel the warmth of a church around them. We love them, God. I pray that they would know it and experience it. Open our eyes about who's in our community, who's in our house, who's in this church for us to love. Show us, Lord, and then give us the wisdom. What's it like to be in their shoes and how do we love them if we want to love them the way we love ourselves? We don't always know, God, but we know you do. Help us to wrestle with that. Give us courage for the work. Do great things, Lord. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.